evening. We are so glad that you have joined us tonight as we uh, come together. Uh, This is the body of Christ to celebrate um, Good Friday. I think it's uh, easy for us sometimes to have a picture of Jesus as a baby in the manger or uh, to picture him riding on a donkey with the palm leaves being thrown down and as people yell out, who's down on the highest? Or it's easy for us to think of him walking through um, the towns and teaching in the synagogues or reclining at the table with his disciples. And we get this image of Jesus sometimes and we forget about what happened on Good Friday. And when it comes to the death of Jesus, I think there's even a sense that we can focus, as we should, on his resurrection and his coming back to life as well. But the Good Friday marks for us the day that Jesus died a brutal, painful death. His nails were driven into his hands and feet as he hung on the cross in agony, gasping for his last breath. I think it's necessary for us to reflect on that death and reflect on how he died so that we are better able to understand the sacrifice that he made on our behalf through his death on the cross. The sacrifice that he made for you and for me as he took on the sins of the world, as he took on our sin so that we could be brought into a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed, that was slain for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's no coincidence that on this day, on this Good Friday day, the same day that he died, God's people were beginning the celebration of a Passover holiday, with a Passover meal that Jesus would actually celebrate with his disciples just hours before his death. The Passover celebration is a long-standing celebration where we find the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. The Passover is the oldest, longest-running holiday in human history. It's over 3,000 years old when God commanded his people to celebrate their freedom from slavery and their escape out of Egypt. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, we, we find God's chosen people, the Israelites, enslaved, in bondage, and oppressed. And God hears them crying out to him, and he's concerned about their suffering, and he raises up Moses to rescue them from the Egyptians and from their slavery and to lead them into a land that is good and spacious. And God's plan begins to unfold just days before they're going to be set free. God tells them that they need to remember what he's going to be doing as he prepares them for this Passover He wants his children to remember everything that he's doing by celebrating a feast every year. It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or what we call the Passover. In other words, what God is saying is that what's happening right now, I don't want you to ever forget it. I want you to remember this day by celebrating it with a feast every year. And so they still do this to this day. The Passover is God's story of redemption for the nation of Israel. It's a story of God's leading them out of bondage, out of their slavery in Egypt, and redeeming them for his purposes. If you brought your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me for a moment to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And we want to look at where the Passover story begins. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 14. God says this, From the animals among you, you are to choose one-year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. 
take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they're to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. This is how you are to eat, with your cloak tucked under your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I'm going to pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day that you're to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day to the seventh day, must be cut off from Israel. And so here in this passage, we find God giving instructions for the Passover. And he wants this celebration to happen every year so that his children would remember they have been redeemed. They have been set free from bondage and slavery. And it's this very Passover celebration that Jesus would celebrate with his disciples on the day that he dies. And he applies the various elements of the Passover to himself. You see, God gave these feasts and these celebrations as, an, as, as a purpose for pointing his people to Christ. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17. He says the celebrations are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. God has given the Israelites different celebrations to observe, but they were only a shadow of things to come as they looked forward and anticipated the Messiah. The Passover celebration begins as a reminder to God's people that they have been rescued, they have been redeemed, and they have been set free from their bondage and slavery. And as we look at the story of the Passover in the light of Jesus as our Messiah, as our Passover lamb, it is there that we find God's plan for redeeming us and releasing us from our bondage and the slavery of sin. As God commanded in Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites every year have celebrated this event, adding to it various symbols that would help them to remember that very first Passover that happened back in the land of Egypt. And there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into the celebration. If you want to get a little glimpse of the preparation, just let me know and you can help us prepare for our next Seder. There's a lot of preparations that go into preparing for the Passover. But there's so much preparation that goes into the Passover. Jesus in the and Luke chapter 22 tells his disciples in verse, 11, in verse 7, look, the day of unleavened bread in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, he says he sends Peter and John out and he says, go make preparations to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is your guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found these things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And so we find Jesus preparing for this Passover with his disciples. And the, 
And the preparations involved many things. But one of the commands God specifically gave the Israelites was that they were to cleanse their house of all leaven. That's anything with yeast in it, which for us today is about every single item in our house that's a bread product. Everything has yeast in it. And so the disciples would have had to spend a lot of time gathering supplies, preparing this upper room. Just cleaning the house would have been a big deal. Getting rid of yeast products was important because yeast was associated with sin, a condition, an attitude, or a behavior that would cut someone off from a relationship with God. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He'd say that um, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so leaven is not just something with yeast in it. In the Bible, leaven is the symbol for sin. As Paul points out, just as leaven is a symbol for sin in, 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 uh, in leavened bread, our unleavened bread, or the matzah, we're going to be preparing to eat is the symbol of purity and righteousness before God. And it is the bread that Jesus Christ, that, would, that he would lift up during that last meal and say, this is my body. The leaven need to be removed from the house. And the process of going through and cleaning out all that leaven is the process called Vedicot Kametz, or the search for the leaven. And this is how it works. The night before the Passover, everything that has yeast in it is removed from the house. In the Passover preparation for today, after the house is cleaned, they would hide a little piece of leavened bread somewhere. And when it was time for the final search, someone would go through, usually the dad, and he finds this little piece of leaven, and he wraps it up, and he burns it, and he declares, this house is now clean. I don't know, it seems like a little bit kind of a loose kind of process to me, but, you know, that's how it works today. And, you know, I think today what God really cares about more than our houses is about our hearts because our, it's in our hearts that the dwelling of God is. And as a believer today, we are temples of the living God. God lives in us, and he is concerned about the houses of our hearts as well. And so as we prepare for this Passover Seder, as we go through this process of cleaning out the leaven of our hearts and applying these elements to Christ and to ourselves, I think it's only appropriate as we approach this that we take some time to just kind of prepare our hearts for what God has for us. And so let's do that now as we spend the next few moments just in silent prayer asking God to cleanse our hearts from any leaven as we prepare for this Passover Seder meal. Father, I just thank you for the Passover Seder that we can celebrate. I thank you that we can know you as the, uh, as the Messiah, the one that was foretold of in the Old Testament. God, I just thank you for the hope that we have as a result of who we are in Christ. And God, as we come to this table tonight, I, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for the work that you want to do in and through us individually and corporately together. And God, I just pray that you would cleanse us God, help us to have a right standing before you. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And God, we just commit our time together this evening uh, for your glory. And it's 
it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, you should have received a uh, Passover Seder box on the way into the service this evening. And so if you don't have one, if you'd like to raise your hand, one of our ushers is in the back, and they can bring you one. But we want to take those uh, items out in your box, just one item at a time. And so you can go ahead and open that up. For right now, there's a candle that you'll find on the inside. And if you could, just go ahead and take out your candle. Don't take anything else out yet. And if you have smaller children, I'd encourage you to uh, just let them share along with you as you work through the different parts of the saber. But in preparation for the Passover, after our house was clean, we're ready to begin the Passover, and we would start by lighting the Passover candles. The Barkat Harnir, or the lighting of the candles, is the moment that actually starts the Passover. And so at this time, I'd like to invite Deanna Brandt out. She's going to light our Passover candles, and it's always a woman that uh, lights these candles. Um, and as they were lighting the candles, they would um, recite a prayer that goes like this. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments. And you have commanded us to light the lights of Passover. A woman will light the candles because it is through a woman that the will of God, that the light of the world would come into the world. As the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with the child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In chapter 2, verse 32, Luke would describe Jesus as a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Jesus would say of himself in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the lights of life. So these candles would be lit. And there would be two candles on a Passover table. And the first candle would be lit as a symbol of God's light coming into the world. The second candle would be lit as a symbol of how through faith we can shine God's light into the world. And so as we head into this Easter Sunday, I'd encourage you as you sit around the table to enjoy a meal today, or maybe join a meal with your friends or your family, or when you sit down to eat this weekend, take some time to light your candle as you reflect on the light of Christ in your life. After the candles were lit and everyone around the table understood um, while they were there, the Passover meal um, would start. It would begin with a Seder, and it would begin by drinking of a cup. On the inside of your Passover Seder box, you have a cup of juice on the top. It's got a lid on it. If you want to go ahead and take that out, don't open it up yet, but just go ahead and hold it because we're going to uh, drink that together. But during the course of a Passover meal, we would drink from a cup four different times. And every time we drank from it, it would have a different meaning. The different meanings all come from the I will statements from God in Exodus chapter 6. And here are the four different meanings when drinking from the cup. The first cup is the cup uh, called, can you get to the next slide for me? The cup of Kadesh, the cup of sanctification. That's where God says, I will bring you out from under the branches, under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first cup, is the cup of sanctification. The second cup is the cup of plagues or judgment. And that's where God says, I will free you from their bondage. And then the third cup is the cup of blessing or redemption. It's the communion cup that Jesus would share. And it's where God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then the last cup, the fourth cup, is the cup of praise, where God says, I will take you to me as my own people. 
And so these four cups that are reflected, we drink from the first one. The second one we don't drink from. It's just actually a filling of the cup. And then we'll drink from the last two cups together. But these four cups uh, each have a name and a meaning and a purpose. And so Jesus would begin this Passover meal with his disciples. He would have started with that first cup, the cup of sanctification. He would have started with the same prayer that was used kind of with the lighting of the candle, where he says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. As he prepared to drink that cup, he says in Luke 22, in verses 15 through 18, I, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking that first cup, he gives thanks and he says, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God And it is here that Jesus would begin to speak about Passover in a different way with his disciples, different than what they'd experienced in the past. He's speaking here of a new or fulfilled Passover that is forthcoming in the kingdom. And with this cup, he sanctified all that was going to happen afterwards with his Passover in the upper room. And after he shared these things, and all of his disciples would have taken that first cup and they would have drinking it together. So at this time, let's take the first cup. Go ahead and remove the cap. Let's drink the first cup together. After that first cup, the next several elements that we're going to look at are elements that you would typically find on a Seder plate. Now, this is not uh, an official Seder plate. There's a variety of different types of Seder plates. Um, They all look a little bit different, but the thing that was in common with every Seder plate was that they would all have would have the same number of places for the elements. And so every Seder plate would have a spot for six different elements. And so what you have in, in front of you is not a Seder plate. It's a Seder box. Uh, but it does have all the elements that we're going to look at together tonight as a part of our Seder. And so the next element that we're going to look at after that cup, it's the first element that we would find on the plate, and it's called the carpus, which is the Hebrew word for greens. And on the inside of your uh, Seder box, you'll find a small bag of parsley. And so if you would, go ahead and take that out. You can take your parsley out. The rabbis and the teachers at that time taught that these greens um, represented life. They would take the greens and they would dip them into salt water, which represented the tears of life. These greens would be dipped into salt water as a reminder to the Israelites that during their slavery in Egypt, their, their lives were immersed in tears, but he would take them out of that and deliver them from bondage. And so as they took the greens and dipped them in and out of the salt water. It was reflective of a life immersed in slavery and bondage, but the idea of being released from that as well and delivered from that. The carpus is also a reminder of the hyssop that was dipped into the blood as they applied it in and around the doorpost during that first Passover. It was the reminder that God gave them that instruction in Exodus chapter 12 when he said, go and find a one-year-old lamb or goat without blemish and kill it. And when I put this blood, and when you put this blood around your doorpost, I'll know that you're in there and I will pass over your house. And so these greens are reflective of the life of tears and bondage, but the release and the deliverance from slavery. It's also a reflection of the blood that God would pass over their house as they put that on their doorpost. And so that's what these greens are a reminder. For us today, these greens are a reminder that through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, We are redeemed. We are delivered from slavery and bondage. 
Listen to what Peter says in First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Keep in heaven for you, kept in heaven for you, through who faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, the Jews had looked forward to being delivered from slavery into the promised land, and now as followers of Jesus Christ, we are looking forward to being delivered from our slavery and our bondage to sin and inheriting an eternal kingdom. And so your greens have already been dipped in salt water, but let's eat these together as a reminder that we also now can enjoy a redeemed life from the tears and from the oppression of slavery and sin. Let's eat these together. The next item on the Seder uh, plate would be uh, karzaret, which would be ground up to make um, maror, or bitter herbs. The maror, or the horseradish for us, is the bitter herb that we read about in Exodus chapter 12. And in your Seder box, the next container has your horseradish. You can go ahead and take that out now. Um, also in your Seder box is a little Ziploc bag with some um, uh, matzah crackers in it. So you can go ahead and take one of those crackers out of your Ziploc bag as well and Take one piece of your matzah and then dip your cracker into the horseradish and then, and then hold it. And uh, don't eat it because we're going to eat this together. The other thing that we want to do is we want to eat the horseradish and then get onto the next item on the cedar plate as quickly as possible because that horseradish might be a little bit hot. So before you take a big scoop and cram it in your mouth, it'll taste a little bit because it, it might be hot for some. But here's a reminder for the Passover. The tears that are going to come to your eyes after you eat that horseradish after you eat that bitter herb, it's a graphic reminder of the Israelites' tears that were shed while they were in slavery in Egypt. You see, every item on the Seder plate is to be a reminder of the slavery and bondage and the offer of God's deliverance and redemption. And eating the bitter herbs, and eating these bitter herbs and dipping the matzah in there is a reminder of what it means to be in bondage and to know the pain of broken relationships. It's the bitterness that comes from being enslaved. It's the bitterness that comes from having broken relationships and not being in fellowship with God or others. And and Jesus would know the pain of this bitterness and this betrayal. Because when he was eating these bitter herbs with his disciples, he says in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 21, he says, while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after another, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me, is going to betray me. Jesus experienced bitterness. We all experience bitterness. We carry around bitterness with us from our past. We're, we, we get enslaved to addictions. You know, there are things that are embittering you, that are interfering with your relationship with God, interfering with your relationship with others. As we eat this matzah and this horseradish, let us remember that God can and will deliver us from our bondage and our slavery. Let's eat together. <clears throat> the next item on our Seder plate is a Carl set. It's a sweet mixture of chopped apples, nuts, honey, and raisins, and cinnamon. So inside your Seder box is a small container of applesauce representing the Carl set. I'm going to try to say that. <clears throat> that CH is like... 
it's hard to say with a mouthful of matzah, karoset. But it's, it's, it's a sweet mixture of apples and, and nuts. And, and, and in your karoset, you just have applesauce. And so if you've got any allergies, unless you have problems with apples, you should be okay. But take one of your matzah crackers and dip it into your karoset. Let's eat it um, together. I want to get something in your mouth to soothe that horseradish as soon as possible. So hopefully that took some of the heat and bitterness out of your mouth, right? That is exactly what it's for. That is exactly why it's on this Seder plate. You see, Karoset is a symbol of the mortar the Israelites used to make bricks for Pharaoh during their time in slavery, and they would have put some of that in between two matzo crackers and kind of eaten it like a little sandwich. It's reflective of the mortar that the Israelites used for making bricks. And even though during that period of slavery it would have been a bitter period, it was considered to be sweet when they understood that the redemption was drawing near. And so what they would do after eating those bitter herbs is they would take a portion of the set and they'd eat it so that that bitter taste left in their mouths from the horseradish would just disappear. And so for us today, the reflection of that is, is that even in the midst of our most bitter circumstances, the things that happen in this world can be sweetened by the promise of God's redemption. I love what John says in chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus tells his disciples, Look, a time is coming when you are going to be scattered. Things are going to get bad. Don't worry. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so as we look around, everything that we can see with our eyes is temporary. And our hope can not be found in our circumstances. We can't find our hope in things that are temporary or in our circumstances that will change. Our only hope. Our only lasting hope can be found in our relationships, our relationship with God through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and our relationships with, with each other that we can take into eternity. Jesus has overcome the world, and the pain and the bitterness we experience can be overcome by the sweet promise of God's redemption through relationship with Jesus Christ. The last item on the Seder plate I want to look at briefly is the shank bone of the lamb. In Hebrew, it's called the Zorah. And uh, we could not find 500 uh, lamb shank bones to put into your Seder box, so you'll have to imagine this with me. In fact, I couldn't find one, so this is a rib from Famous Dave's. (laughs) But when I look at this bone, it is a reminder of all the lambs that were slain at the beginning of that Exodus, chapter 12, for that blood that was to be used to be put on our doorpost is a reminder that God would pass over our homes and would redeem us. God commanded the Israelites to take a yearly yearly male lamb without spot, without blemish, without any defects, and kill it. And this reminds me of another perfect Paschal lamb, who contrary to Roman custom, did not have his legs broken when he hung on the cross. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, it says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You see, it is in Jesus Christ we see from Scripture, we find the fulfillment of his role as our Passover lamb. It is in Christ that we find the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. It is at this point 
in the Seder that we come to the second cup, which is the cup of judgment. And you don't have a cup in your Seder box because we don't actually drink from this cup of judgment. This is, uh, there's a cup in your box. It's, it's cup number four. So just uh, leave it down there. We'll use that at the end. Um, but what happened at this point in our Seder is not that we would drink from it, but what, it would be filled to the full. And so the cup that we had been drinking from that was now getting close to it, being empty would be filled up. And refilling the cup would represent joy as our cup overflows. And then our joy would be reduced as we dipped our finger in it and put the drops of wine on our plates. And we would do that ten times, one drop for each of the ten plagues that God inflicted on the Israelites for uh, their um, deliverance. Those ten plagues were blood, a hail, locusts, frogs, lice, flies, pestilence, boils, darkness, and the slaying of the firstborn. And so the second cup, we're filled with joy, but our joy is reduced as we reflect on the plagues that had to come against the Egyptians for their freedom. Nine times Pharaoh's heart would be hardened, and each time God sent a plague on the land of Egypt. The tenth plague was the worst of all. It was the death of the firstborn. Now God told the children of Israel to take the blood of that sacrificed lamb, to put it in a basin, and to go outside with hyssop and put it all over their doorposts. First on that top lintel, and then on the side posts. And that night, death flew through Egypt. But those that were covered by the lamb of the blood, by the blood of the lamb, they were saved. Everywhere, there was blood on the door. Death passed over that house, and there's redemption for those children of Israel. Now, because I believe in Jesus as my lamb and my Messiah, and because I have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of my heart, my house. When death comes to visit me, death is going to pass over also because I have been redeemed. I have eternal life. And praise God for that. As we move away from the second cup, we then move to the unleavened bread. The next part of our Passover Seder involves involves the uh, matzah. Uh, What we looked at a little bit earlier, we saw that it was bread Uh, That did not have yeast in it, so it was unleavened. And on the table next to the Seder plate would be the mazel tosh. The mazel tosh is matzah, unleavened bread, and it's in a tosh, which is a bag. And and there'd be three of these pieces of matzah, and they would be put in this tosh, and each piece of matzah would have its own compartment. And so there's a bag there uh, with three pieces of uh, this unleavened bread in it. And there's several theories when you ask somebody that's Jewish or when you ask a teacher or you ask a rabbi, there really is no agreement or understanding about what this bag is for. There's several theories. One of the more popular theories is that those three pieces of bread that are in those individual compartments in this Tosh bag reflect the unity of the patriarchs, Adam, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some priests will tell you that it's reflective of the unity between the priests, the Levites, and uh, God's people. I believe, as a result of who I am Christ, that they are reflective of the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to me, one of the most exciting parts about this Passover Seder is actually looking at this bread. After finishing with this Seder plate, before eating dinner, the middle piece of that bread is taken out of the bag. Now let's look at the bread for a moment. You have uh, one last piece of bread in your uh, Seder box, and if you would go ahead and take that out. 
that middle piece of bread is taking out of that posh bag. And uh, when you look at it, there's a couple things that you can notice about it. Every piece of bread, first of all, it's unleavened. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, um, uh, there's no yeast. It hasn't risen. It's, it's pretty uh, beat up. The, the matzah is the bread of affliction. It's been afflicted. It's been beat down. It, it hasn't risen up. It's got no yeast in it. And then just in case, you know, to keep it from rising, they pierce it so that it won't rise. And so it's been pressed down. It's been pierced. It's, it's got stripes on it from where it's been pierced and where it's been sitting in the oven and, and cooking. And as you look at it, you see the, there's brown marks on it, which is, kind of looks like it's just been bruised. It's beat up. I mean, it's, it's really it's a, it's a, an afflicted piece of bread. And so when you look at that piece of uh, bread, uh, there's, you know, I, I can't help but think about that picture of when Jesus lifts that bread up and says, this is my body given for you, unleavened, without sin. It's pierced, it's stripped, it's bruised. You know, that second piece of matzah from the middle of the compartment is uh, then taken out and it's broken. And they would take that second piece of bread out and they would break it and this second piece of bread would be called the uh, apikomen. And uh, they would take that piece of bread and they would wrap it up in linen. And so we have a broken piece of bread. It's wrapped up in linen. And then it is hidden to be used later. And we're going to come back to this in just a minute. But at this point of the Seder, this portion of the Seder would stop. And then everyone would eat a meal together. And so they would move into the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was not horseradish and greens and crackers. This is a Seder. It's the order of things as we remember God's faithfulness. The Passover meal is just that. It's a celebration meal. It's like coming over to someone's house and having a huge Thanksgiving basket. And they would eat this huge meal together. And then after dinner was over, someone would have hidden this afikomen at some point before the meal. And so they would hide it. And then after they were eating, after the meal was completely done, there would be this search for the afikomen. And so that piece of afikomen was so important that nothing else could happen until that piece of bread was found. And so right now, one of you has a, an afikomen attached to the front of your seat. It's in a white envelope. And just as with the Passover Seder, we cannot continue until it's found. And so if you've got that envelope, raise your hand. Okay, we can't continue until I get that back. And so bring that back up. After the afikomen comes back to the table, and in most Jewish households it's brought back to the dad, and uh, the person that brings the afikomen in wins a prize. And so you've got a little prize. There's usually something associated with that. And so you get a uh, free item from the cafe. Congratulations. And so now I've got my afikomen. And what would happen with that afikomen is after it came back, after we had all eaten the meal together, the person that was at the head of the table would uh, take it and he would uh, break it. And he'd, he'd break it up and he'd pass it out and he'd give everybody at the table reclining there with them a piece of this bread known as the afikomen. And so as you think about that bread for a moment, you know, does it remind you of anything? As you look at this bread, unleavened, without sin, pure stripe. As you look at this bread, broken, wrapped in linen, hidden, hidden for later, does it remind you of anything? 
You know, why is the Passover bread unleavened without sin? Why does it look bruised? Why is it pierced and stripped? And striped up? Why is that piece, that, that middle piece of bread unleavened? Why is it broken and hidden for a short time and then brought back? You know, it's because the three pieces of that matzah in the tosh represent for us our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That second piece of unleavened bread represents Jesus, the second person of the Trinity who was broken in death, wrapped in a linen cloth, who was buried in the tomb and brought back. Isn't that exciting? How can somebody not look at that bread and understand when Jesus lifts that bread up and says, this is my body broken for you? That is a reflection of himself. Jesus was resurrected by the power of God just overcoming sin and death and redeems God's children. Look at Luke chapter 22 for a moment, verse 19. Jesus takes this bread. He takes this coman that has come back to his table, and he breaks it up, and he says to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's at this point of the Seder that we move into the third cup. Remember we talked about the three cups? We have the cup of sanctification, judgment, Here we've got the cup of blessing and redemption. It's the communion cup. It's the cup that says, I will redeem you with my outstretched arms. So as we look at this bread that has been broken for us, and we drink this cup, it's a reflection of the redemption that we have through God that's redeemed with outstretched arms. This is what we find in communion. When we go back to that passage in in Luke, go back to the passage in Luke chapter uh, 22, verse 19. Go to the next one. He tucks the bread. He gives thanks. He says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he takes this third cup, this third cup of blessing, and he says, this is a cup of a new covenant which has been poured out for you. That communion meal at this Passover brings into play his officomen body, broken for us, the cup of blood that is spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what communion is. And so you've got your bread in your cup, so you can hold that for a moment. Our communion team is going to come forward now, and they're going to give you your third cup, that cup of the blood, the, the, the redemption cup. And we're going to take communion together in just a moment. We're going to take that broken bread, and we're going to take that third cup together in communion. So as you get the elements, hold those, and we're going to come back together in just a moment.
as we come to this portion of our Seder meal, Jesus would have been sitting around the table with his disciples and lifted up that piece of bread and said, this is my body broken for you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's partake together. After they had finished eating, he would lift that third cup and say that this is a cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. So let's drink together. As he talks about this cup, he talks about it being a new covenant in his blood, which is given for them. What is that new covenant? Jesus picked up that third cup and said, it's a new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that he's referring to was the one that was promised by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31. Beginning in verse 31, it says this, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband then, declares the Lord. You see, the problem there is that the first covenant has become broken. And it's within this chapter that we see a promise of a new covenant that's given in verse 33. He writes this, This is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God is not just concerned about the leaven and the cleanliness of our house. He's concerned about our hearts. And this new covenant that is made is reflected in the fact that we understand Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus Christ has established this new covenant. Jesus is not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good person. He's not a moral. He's not a lunatic. He's not a liar. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. He's our Lord and our Savior. He's the third person in the Trinity. He's the only one through whom we have the forgiveness of sins. He's the only one through whom we are redeemed and brought into a right relationship before a holy and just God. Jesus is my Savior and my Lord. And this is what we remember 
at our communion table whenever we take communion together. You know, as we think through the hope that we have in Christ, this, this evening as you think about this Passover meal, you come to this table with an understanding that you have been redeemed, that you have the security of having a relationship with Christ. If for the first time you've come to understand Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus through his death on the cross has forgiven me for my sins, I want to encourage you this evening to make this night the night that says, I never understood that Jesus was my Savior and my Lord. And I want to commit my life to him. Jesus is our Lord. And if you've come to this table tonight and you're looking for a fresh new power from the Holy Spirit working in your life, make that your prayer tonight as you leave this Passover table. The last cup that we would celebrate was the fourth cup, and it's the uh, open chair. Uh, we have the cup of praise. The cup of praise, from an Old Testament perspective, uh, the Israelites would have been waiting for the prophet Elijah to appear um, for that fourth cup. It was through uh, their belief that Elijah would appear and he would tell of the forthcoming Messiah. And so for the Jews today, as they celebrate the Passover, they come to this fourth cup in anticipation that Elijah is going to show up and, and tell them about the Messiah that is going to be appearing. And they are still waiting for the Messiah. We come to this table for this fourth cup, understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, realized by John, the cousin of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1, in verse 7 and 17. It says that John will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It is through John, who in the power and the spirit of Elijah, points us to the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And so that fourth cup is the fourth cup of praise. And so you've got the fourth cup in your Seder box, if you would, take that out. And as we take this fourth cup together, we are praising God that he has fulfilled his promise. He has brought to us the Messiah that we know to be Jesus Christ. And we are praising him because we have redemption. We have forgiveness. We have been redeemed and released from this bonds of slavery and sin. And we praise God for what he has done and so as we drink this fourth cup together, I'd like to invite you to stand. The disciples among that table, after they drink that fourth cup, it says that they all gathered together and they sang, sang songs and hymns. And so as we drink this fourth cup, after we drink it, let's stand and we'll sing this last song together.